Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Irv Dennis, the Chief Financial Officer at the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Irv, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate being here. This is a little bit different of a discussion, and this is Ask the CIO, but you are a CFO, and we're going to specifically focus on the Centers of Excellence Initiatives, as well as some other technology programs that is happening within the CFO's office. So first of all, Irv, let's start with those Centers of Excellence. The CFO is playing a big role in rolling out and and really taking advantage of some of the technology that's coming from it. So let's talk about your role in those Centers of Excellence Initiatives. This is a White House IT modernization initiative, and we have partnered with the GSA Center of Excellence to uh, improve our IT systems. Uh, I'm relatively new to HUD, about a, maybe a little over a year at this point. I was sworn in in January of 17. And one of the things that we I focused on immediately within the CFO shop was finance transformation. And I spent the first three months focused on people, process, and technology, and part of the finance transformation is, is, is the focus on technology. Our IT systems at HUD are old, they're antiquated, they're clumsy, or they're hard to work with, so this IT initiative is really exciting to, to me, and it's exciting to, the, to HUD. Uh, it's a secretary's priority to fix the financial systems that we have, including the, the IT. One of the things we're doing at HUD is working in a very collaborative way. I work very closely with the CIO. Uh, we have a chief operations officer, and the three of us have formed a steering committee that oversees this whole initiative. HUD is a very complicated business. We have a history of operating in, in silos. Um, I spent 37 years in the private sector uh, as an audit partner uh, working on very large global companies. So I know how large companies work and how they need to operate together to, uh, to be successful. And we, the, within the uh, COE efforts, we primarily have four areas of focus that we're, we're going to try to accomplish over the next uh, couple of years in, in working with the Center of Excellence. And one is the, uh, engaging our customers in a different way, setting up governance around customer experience. Uh, we're going to try to simplify our call centers, make it easier for, for the people that we serve and our stakeholders to uh, interact with us. Uh, We need to eliminate a lot of manual and paper processes and go through uh, iCloud adoptions. And also, we're very focused on um, data analytics. Uh, Even though HUD systems are old and antiquated, there's a lot of information in there. And the data analytics is an area where we're trying to extract that information, put it in a dashboard format so it's easier for us to make decisions and utilize that data to be more predictive and where we have issues. From the CFO-specific standpoint, again, I'm a part of the steering committee with the CIO and the COO. Our shop is leading the effort within data analytics. You know, we are teaming with Center of Excellence, and we're utilizing their resources as well as our own internal resources to focus on those four areas. And data analytics is uh, one of the the CFO shop is is heading that up. When when you look across all those areas that you're working on, all of those fall into the CFO shop too, right? I mean, you guys have customer experience. You guys have probably a lot of manual and paper processes, which we'll talk about later. And then obviously the data piece. Let me back us up for a second. And when you walked into HUD and saw the the current state of the financial systems – and you spent, as you said, about 37 years in the private sector. What, what was your first reaction? I was mildly warned and very surprised, <laughs> I would put it that way. Uh, I was aware of the financials. Uh, when I came in, we had 11 material weaknesses and seven significant deficiencies in the financial statements. And 
not to bore you with what a material weakness is, but it's basically that we had 11 areas in our financial systems that were broken and the uh, seven other areas that we would consider broken, but maybe a little less broken. And the goal was, the overarching initiative was to come in and focus on uh, protecting taxpayer funds and eliminating uh, fraud, waste, and abuse. And financial controls are a very big part of that. So uh, that's why, you know, I, I spent the first three months, like I mentioned earlier, focused on assessing people, process, and technology. And we have a lot of great people um, at HUD, a lot of smart people, very dedicated to the mission. But we also have some very broken processes and very dated technology. And so we put a finance transformation plan in place to focus on those 11 areas that are that are broken within the financial systems and, and the significant deficiencies. And it's working. It requires, you know, we you know, I spent a lot of time with OMB and working with our appropriators to make sure we had the appropriate funds to to fix this. And we engaged some outside resources to help us on the path to remediation. And proud to say that within the first year, we eliminated four material weaknesses. We're on path over this year to eliminate a couple more or remediate a couple more. We've got our significant deficiencies down to three from seven, and we're on a good path. And that's all about building processes and, and improving uh, technology. And, and you said it right, the IT modernization efforts and with, the, with the customer experience, the call centers, iCloud adoption, you know, the finance, financial world touches all that in some way, and all the operations touch finance in some way. And that's why we need to be uh, – that's why we're working collaboratively together as a team to, uh, to make these improvements. And that's the other piece I want to make sure we touch upon as well before we dive deep into some of these areas of the COEs. A lot of times when you think about centers of excellence and some of these transformational areas, whether it's moving to the cloud or infrastructure or customer experience, a lot of that gets pushed onto the CIO. And maybe your experience in the private sector is a little different, but when it comes to the government, a lot of the CFOs will say, well, I'll work on my system, but the rest is your problem, or I don't want to worry about the rest of it because I'm a financial person. Talk a little bit about how that steering committee came to be and then how, what, what is the shared responsibility and the collaboration that happens on it. Yeah, it's very difficult. When you think of IT modernization, it's never, ever just about technology. It's really about business process changes that's supported by technology. And from my experience, any large company or any company that goes through any sort of transfer transformation within their finance or business, you need all three working together. Yeah, you need to have tone at the top. You need to have buy-in at the top and cascade it down throughout the organization. And if a CIO worked in isolation, it would be a failed uh, exercise. If a CFO just focused on, you know, what we do, it would be a failed exercise. It really is important to break down the barriers and work across the enterprise to uh, to make this uh, make this work. And you know, our chief operations officer and our chief information officer and I all have private company experience. We, we know how this works. We've seen it. Uh, we've got a great working relationship. Um, and so we, we put the plan in place, uh, working with uh, GSA and understanding what they can uh, bring to the table and, 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 and help with this transformation. Uh, it's been very successful. But again, technology is, modernization is never just about technology and isolation. It's all about technology, business process training, changes, educating our workforce on the new business process change. I mean, this is uh, this is also is a people initiative. And, you know, we got to make sure when you think of uh, new, you know, the, the modern day employee, we got to make sure we're giving them the right tools, the right training, and, and the right incentives to, uh, to um, work in this environment. And, 
you know, so there's an education with that, right? This technology is going to enable our people to have better tools. Processes are going to be better for them to work. And I think we're going to you know, maybe talk about some of the robotic initiatives that we're doing. But the whole goal here is to get away from manual and paper processes and get people focused on data analysis work versus transactional work and, you know, higher level value stuff that, that we need to be focused on. How often do you guys meet? Is it weekly? Is it daily? Is it whenever needed? We set up an agency-wide integrity task force, um, and this is broader than the COE. But when I came aboard, I talked to the secretary, and again, we wanted an enterprise-wide approach to finance transformation. So we set up a an agency uh, integrity-wide task force, and that's our steering committee. It's made up of different disciplines from each of the programs as well as a C-suite. And then underneath, we we identified areas that we needed to focus on and improve. So we set project management teams uh, up underneath the the agency-wide task force, and those PMO organizations are out doing the remediation, doing the fixing. And COE is one of those one of those buckets. And as it relates to the working relationship with the CIO and COO, you know, we meet. You know, if it's not daily, it's pretty close. And we have formal meetings around the center of excellence. We have formal meeting, meetings around. Uh, the, the PMOs within the agency-wide integrity task force, but uh, you know, CIO was just in my office a half hour ago talking about stuff. So I, you know, I probably talk to him almost every day, and and the COO, the, uh, the, the very similar. So we've got a very close working relationship, and I think that's relatively new to HUD. I know the CFO office has uh, was was empty for seven years, and and you know over that seven years, the CFO and the financial structure and disciplines deteriorated over that time. So my challenge has been over the last 14 months is to get that back in shape, and we're making great progress. But again, my progress within the CFO shop can only happen if I'm working closely with the CIO and the programs and and making sure that uh, we have a good collaborative effort. And and it's, uh, like I say, it's working. All right, good news, because obviously I didn't realize that HUD has been without a permanent CFO for seven years before you came on. That's a long time, and as you said, there's a a long time, a a lot to catch up on. Let's talk about some of the COE initiatives. You said that uh, the the CFO's office is specifically leading the data analytics. Talk about what your role is with leading that effort and where you guys are at today. We're trying to get all of our, like I mentioned earlier, our, our IT systems are very old. They're very antiquated, clumsy. It's hard to move information around. We're putting some governance structure around uh, data analytics and and where the data sits within HUD and which different systems. Uh, We're going to be searching for a chief data analytics officer. And probably the best way to think of this is finding where all of the data is, all of our assets, what systems they sit in, move that data into a centralized data warehouse, and then within that data warehouse, um, extract information and put it into, develop a dashboard uh, that we can easily have access to on our, you know, iPad or our iPhone, and um, and data. S- simply thinking of, you know, where's all the grant money that we've uh, we've issued, how much has been spent, how much has been obligated, and if, uh, you know, the the future state would be to be able to push a button and say, in the uh, city of New York, we've you know, HUD at large has issued this many grants, and this is how much money has been spent, and this is how much money is available. Um, that's going to improve the financial controls. It's going to help with the deobligation. It's going to help with the monitoring. It's going to help with the compliance around, you know, grant oversight. And so that's the future state vision. Right now, we're putting the governance structure in place. We'll be searching for a chief data analytical officer. 
we're moving the uh, information from the existing systems into a data warehouse, and we're building the dashboard. Uh, we're hopeful. You know, we we have our you know we know what success looks like in June of 2020. We have our we're very focused on that, and uh, we formally meet as a steering committee within the the uh, data analytics once a week to make sure we have the right vision statement, to make sure we have the right uh, program or the right um, program in place to uh, monitor this each week and also to make sure that we have the right resources to, to make this happen. So it's uh, to me it's very exciting. I'm, I'm, um, I think this will be very transformational in many ways for, for HUD. Irv, you mentioned a chief data analytics officer but not a CDO, which we hear a lot about, chief data officer. What's the distinction in your eyes? It probably isn't. So I'll say chief data officers. Uh, I, I use the word analytics, but it's chief data officer, one and the same. Okay. Just want to put a clarification because sometimes you see that. In fact, I just got invited to a conference recently. It was chief data analytics officer. I don't know if there was another term of art I'd have to learn. Yeah. <laughs> you just never know, right? So you're making progress there. When it comes to the, the warehouse and the dashboard, do you have technology already? Are you looking for technology? Walk me through kind of where you're going to be in the next, because you have June 2020, so just about a 12 more months away, 13 months away. Right. So walk me through what has to happen over the next you know, six, nine months. Right. So one of our programs have, has done a good job uh, focused on uh, developing a dashboard with the data that they have. And that's a, I would, that's in a, a great spot. I would call that state of the art. So we're going to leverage that dashboard that exists so that's why we're able to, you know, we're being aggressive with our June 2020, but I think we'll be able to get there because we do have within one of our programs a, a platform and a dashboard that we'll leverage out. So the trick right now is to get all of our key data and the other programs and our systems into this data warehouse that I mentioned, and then we'll leverage our existing dashboard and build from there. We have to take a break. My guest today is Irv Dennis, the Department of Housing and Urban Development's Chief Financial Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Irv Dennis, the Department of Housing and Urban Development's Chief Financial Officer. One of the things about data that that usually stops or, or kind of is an obstacle to a lot of these efforts is how clean the data is. And from a Financial management perspective, that's probably the most important thing. Is the data accurate? Is it is it good data or am I getting messy data? Are you dealing with that issue? Is there a taxonomy problem? Or because it's also financial data, it's, we've already solved a lot of that. That's why it's so important in the data governance structure of this to make sure that we're getting the right data from the right systems in the right format that's usable within the data warehouse. So when you think of the governance structure around anything that you do to automate the number one thing you have to do is make sure you're getting good, clean, verifiable, and accurate data. Um, but again, that's, this all starts with that data governance that I, that I mentioned. And when you think about something simple like the robotics process, that, um, that all falls within this, this data analytics initiative in the COE, you, know, you start by documenting your current processes and flows around the, the process that you're trying to automate make sure your data governance size, make sure you're using the right data, and then you then you develop the program to implement the robotics. So it goes in that methodical way to make sure that uh at the end of the uh at the end of the process it's successful. And you and you know you're saying it exactly right. You gotta make sure you're using good scrubbed <laughs> verifiable and accurate data. 
beyond the data analytics piece, what else are you looking forward to from the COE initiative or what, what other areas are you a big part of, but maybe not running that specific yeah, part of I, the you know, COE? The, the, um, I think the thing that's going to be most exciting and also very transformational, you know, the data analysis and the data analytics portion is going to help us uh, make decisions on the business. We'll have good information to do that and be more predictive on the compliance side. We also want to make it easier for our customers to work and deal with us. And we have like a public housing authority, as an example, they may get, you know, five or six different revenue streams or grant streams from HUD, and they have to fill out information five or six times, and it's 95% of the same information. So as, as it relates to the, to the customer um, experience lane within the COE, it's all about uh, putting some governance around working with our uh, with our stakeholders and and our our customers, if you will, and we want to centralize that function. Uh, we are going to, we're looking also for a chief uh, customer experience officer that'll report in through the chief operations officer, and the goal there is to uh, work with our stakeholders and have a pro- develop a process within HUD that it's a one-stop shop for folks. And we want to improve our customer experience, which right now we do not get high marks on, at lo- you know, by and by and large. And in that, within that lane is all, are also call centers. Um, our call centers are um, complicated. I think we have over 100 numbers in six different call centers. We, you know, our FHA business has, a, you know, what I would consider a state-of-the-art. So the idea is to leverage the FHA or perhaps look at a, a, a different structure, but we're going to keep FHA in place. But the goal is to get down to one call center, one number, that anybody that uh, anybody that we serve, whether it be you know, our tenants, uh, the, the, uh, the homeless folks that we serve, the PHAs, call one number and get into the, uh, you know, go through the taxonomy that we'll set up and, and get to the right answer. Um, and while we're doing that, we'll be able to capture a lot of data that we're hearing. So, again, we can be predictive. We can see where issues are and be able to react to that. So I, I think the call center and the customer experience will be very exciting and, and again, also transformational for, uh, for HUD. One of the things uh, related to this uh, effort around financial management uh, is robotics process automation, and, and HUD is another one of the agencies that I think is a little bit out in front of uh, several others when it comes to RPA. Uh, discuss where you guys are at with RPA, and then may- we can tie it back to the larger COE effort. So, as a, you know, within the finance transformation, one of the things that uh, was very clear to me is we do have a lot of manual processes within the CFO shop. Um, and we have a lot of folks moving numbers around from from the email to an Excel spreadsheet to another Excel spreadsheet, and that's all done in a man, you know, as a, in a manual fashion. And that goes to our reconciliations and a lot of our controls. So we said, why don't we try to take one of our manual processes and let's just experiment with uh, with a robotics. And we we selected a, a grant accrual process that took us about 2,100 hours over six months to to complete that process as it relates to the financial close process that we have. We took that 2,100 hours and with robotics, we reduced it down to 65 hours. So 97% efficiency. And we took it from six months down to three weeks. And, you know, not only are we more efficient, but we're actually much more effective. This is, it's more, so this is, you know, robotics is about efficiency and effectiveness. And uh, then I challenged our team to identify other areas that we can implement robotics, and we've identified over 
55,000 hours within the CFO office um, that we can uh, we can identify to the robotics and put in robotics. And so we put a two-year plan in place to make all that happen. Um, we're also talking about this initiative um, at HUD at large because a lot of programs have manual processes that could be converted to, to robotics. And the, the, the whole goal is, like I mentioned, to be efficient, but even more important to have our folks focus on analysis that's really important to the business to make decisions versus transactional stuff that uh, doesn't add a lot of value in the uh, in the workflow. So my team's very excited about this. We had a lot of success with the first initiative. I'm very focused to say that this is uh, this is not about job elimination. I want our folks to be motivated with this. We have folks that work a lot of overtime. Uh, this is about um, about uh, creating efficiencies and effectiveness to free our people up to focus on the value add and the data analysis work that that'll be more helpful to uh, to HUDs. I'm really excited about this initiative. You know, I would conservatively think we probably have six or seven hundred thousand hours of um, manual processes that we could convert to robotics, at, you know, within all the programs at HUD. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be a big focus of ours over the next uh, years to identify those processes and then go through the implementation. And it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, when you when you think of a process that you want to convert to robotics, you've you've got to have you know a flow chart of what the current process is. And again, to your earlier point, you got to make sure that data is getting uh, captured in the right way, that it's accurate and verifiable, um, and then it, you know it's moving through a robotics process in, in the right fashion. But it took us about maybe six weeks to convert the uh, grant accrual process that I mentioned. Um, but just think of the time that's going to save us as, as we go forward. And uh, again, this is an this is an initiative I'm very very excited about, and you know it's all it's all part of the data uh, analytics lane and the COE. Um, so this is these are things that we'll be doing over the next year. You mentioned the one RPA implementation so far. How many other bots have you guys implemented since that one? Or are you still are you still in the process of of figuring out where to go next? What we've done within the CFO office is I wanted a, a list of uh, everything that's a candidate for robotics. We have about thirty processes identified. Of those 30 processes, there's about 55,000 hours, and what we're doing now is going through and prioritizing which ones we want to do next. So we'll have a, we'll have probably another seven or eight done implemented this year before our fiscal year end, which is September 30th. And the way we're prioritizing it is ones that are you know, most manual, easy to implement, and we can reduce the hours quickly. So we are going through a process of making sure they have the right data governance around this. And we are maybe we have the right make sure that we have the right um, the ones that we select that we've got to go through and have the right flow chart to make sure we understand the process. And one of the things that I did observe when I got here was we do not have great policy and procedure statements throughout our CFO office. Last year, what we did was we implemented and documented, I should say, over 110 different policy and procedures. It's not all we need, but it was the most important ones. And if we're going to convert something to robotics, we've got to make sure we have those policy and procedures well-defined and documented. So that's all part of the governance portion of um, robotics to make sure that's successful. You mentioned about 600,000 to 700,000 hours across HUD that potentially could be impacted positively by RPA. What are you doing to share those experiences with other people across HUD? Uh, if you just you know keep it all at the CFO, people will never find out. Yeah. So where's the sharing happening? And if you remember the agency-wide integrity task force that I, I, I spoke to, that 
task force includes all of the programs, and we've taken, uh, with our robotics, we put a nine-minute film together uh, where I introduce the concept, and then we, we, uh, we, we actually demo the success we had with the grant accrual in a very simple fashion so it's easy to understand, and that, that film has been shown probably 100 times at HUD. Um, and the program leads, uh, the leadership's very supportive of this. The, the program uh, leaders are excited about it. So, you know, this is not something we're keeping within our shop. We, I've actually shared this with OMB and, and Treasury and the, the IG. They have an opportunity to uh, convert some of their processes to robotics. So, you know, we're, uh, we're proud of this effort and we're being vocal and sharing it throughout, uh, throughout HUD. And it has a lot of excitement. And, uh, you know, we're, we're making sure that we have the right resources in place to, uh, to help us implement this. And this will be, uh, this will be very different in, in two or three years. One of the big things that RPA and this entire modernization effort is important for HUD is because HUD is known to have one of the uh, workforces that are older. They've been around. They're, they're, yeah. They have more people eligible to retire than probably almost any other agency. Imagine you right. see, especially in the CFO's office, imagine you see these opportunities to help lighten the load of some people, but also you're not going to be able to hire people in, in the time you need it to. Yeah. I mean, talk all about how this this entire effort, COEs as well as RPA, as well as some of the other things, all are kind of helping reshape the CFO role at HUD or the CFO's office at HUD. I would expand that to the whole enterprise. It's not just the CFO. And that, you know, I do bring a perspective, or a lot of the leaders here bring the perspective of enterprise-wide versus the silos. Um, and when you think of people, um, like I mentioned earlier, we need to make sure we're bringing the right tools, the right training, and the right mentoring for our folks to be successful. And and I, I would say that's not just limited to HUD either. I think that's a government-wide potential issue. Um, and you're right, we have an age workforce. They, uh, they We have several folks that are eligible for retirement over the next uh, several years. Um, and I look at these initiatives uh, in two ways. This is going to create efficiency, so perhaps we may not need as many people in a few years. But also, when you think about the recruiting efforts and, and you know, kids coming out of college or students coming out of college today, you know, they don't you – know, I'll, I'll speak to the finance world on this. You know, we're always going to have the, the folks that are focused on policy that are just going to, you know, embrace themselves and want to come to uh, – to, uh, to work at an agency like HUD. But from a finance perspective, kids that are coming out of college are not interested in dealing with Excel spreadsheets and moving numbers around. You know, they, they know robotics. They're technology savvy. Uh, they they want to use and, and want to explore with uh, the, you know, robotics and artificial intelligence and, you know, the blockchain technology that there's potential here to use and or to do or implement. Um, so I think this is going to help with what you're saying with the, with the workforce that, that's aged, uh, but it's also going to help with uh, bringing in talented young folks that are excited about the changes that they're seeing. Irv, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, though, we're out of time, so let me just say thank you. My guest has been Irv Dennis, the CFO of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Irv, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Very much enjoyed it. We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, we shift gears to talk about cloud computing. My guest is Dave Nelson, the CIO of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Today, I'm playing excerpts from a panel I moderated at the recent HR Cloud Summit, where Mr. Nelson was a panelist. 
so much more we got when we moved uh, email up into the cloud with the collaboration tools with Skype, with all the rest of the stuff that, that works around that, that, uh, that have been a huge, huge help in productivity for our agency. Since we last talked, Jason and I um, worked through some of the initiatives we had, uh, our journey, the, the way we started at NRC. We, we didn't start with the customer first. The first thing we did is virtualized everything in our data centers. And we said, hmm, we're in the cloud. It didn't do that much for us except for reduce the size of our, our data center. But we did move uh, some of our mission applications up into the cloud. We moved our financial systems up into the cloud and uh, high-performance computing and some of those things to start with. What we've been doing over the last year is a lot of what Margie was talking about earlier. I think I heard a question in the, in the audience about, well, what agencies are out there actually doing that work to, to try to figure out how to rationalize applications and go through that process. And that is something we've been working on, and that is how we're actually putting the customer first. It's not just something done in the CIO shop. It's something we're doing with our mission folks to actually look at those applications closely and, and figure out where they fit and how they fit into the cloud. We have actually uh, bolstered our people end of things. We've brought in some real skill sets. Uh, we had to bring them in from outside. It's not something that we could quickly retrain um, to get some of those skills. And we also brought in some contracting help. Um, one of the things we did with our large hosting contractors actually made them part of that statement of work was uh, cloud brokerage as well. It wasn't just hosting the services we had. So there's incentive for them to help us with, with moving things to the cloud. We did complete a complete assessment of our entire IT portfolio, and I'm pleased to say that we're not uh, looking at mostly infrastructure as a service. In fact, it's our smallest amount. Um, most of it's going um, platform. Um, we, we see some real opportunity there in, in some in reimagining the way that we're, we've got some of our applications out there and putting them on some of these uh, cloud platforms that, with all their you know, rich features and functionality that they have. We looked at ourselves across the cloud computing maturity model, and we were, we were really tough on ourselves in, in looking at that. I think we came out at a, just over a two overall which was okay, repeatable, opportunistic is the way that we looked at ourselves, and, and that's kind of how we've been acting so far. So we've, we've laid out three different um, sort of paths, roadmaps, one on technology, which we're working on actually putting infrastructure in place, uh, security infrastructure, connectivity, that type of stuff. We also looked at governance and application migration. So with, all, with those three roadmaps, we've actually, we're running them in parallel. We're, it's, it's as a program, but as sort of three different focus areas that we're working on. One of the things that occurs to me as you, as you look at CloudSmart, and, and Dave, maybe you could lead us off a little bit, is as you, I mean, this is not a new policy. There's nothing in there, as I think, as I mentioned, that you're going, oh, my goodness, I, I can't handle this. But what does it do for you? Just talk briefly about how you can, if you will, use my example of use that piece of paper to, to expand your conversations around cloud. Yeah, actually, um, I, I think the, the document is, is quite helpful in, in speaking with the business people and talking about all the different pieces of uh, of how I have to how I have to finance this move to the cloud, um, it does talk. It, it helps me with the arguments of what are the different important parts that all have to fit together. Um, when I speak with my acquisition folks, they can see clearly within there um, 
how they fit into this. Um, when I have to speak to the mission people about you know how important security is, they can see how it fits into the whole picture. So it, it is really written at a to me at a high level, um, but it does do a good job of sort of tying all of those pieces together and showing how they're all important and how they have to work together. Do you get a sense just from the conversations you have with the others in your CXO community that cloud is not this, if you will, thing that's out there I don't understand? I mean, people now, you know, between whether you have a Gmail account or you're using Amazon or buying stuff off Amazon.com or, or whatever, it's all in the cloud. Do you think it's, it's that, that, that level of understanding is really reason why we can move a little faster? Uh, absolutely. Certainly at the CIO level. Um, I mean, it is what we talk about at the CIO council. It is a huge piece of our agenda every time we, we get together. But when you say CXOs, I'm actually fortunate. I have a, I have a CFO that, that probably should have been a CIO, totally understands data, totally understands. In fact, she was one of the first to move her applications up into the cloud. So she certainly sees the advantages there. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a scary thing anymore. It's all something we understand and we use at home. So We'll take a break. My guest is Dave Nelson, the CIO of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Today I'm playing excerpts from a panel I moderated at the recent HR Cloud Summit where Mr. Nelson was a panelist. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dave Nelson, the CIO of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Today, I'm playing excerpts from a panel I moderated at the recent ATAR Cloud Summit, where Mr. Nelson was a panelist. In this part of the show, the panel takes questions from the audience. Good morning, Nicole Johnson with GovLoop. Um, so I have a question for you, David. You talked about workforce and having to bring in some skills from the outside. Can you talk about you know, what skill sets those were and how did that jive with current staff? Because I know there have been situations where agencies, you, bring, you it's almost like you have two staff running parallel, right? The people who do the innovative stuff and then the people who take care of the blinking light. So how did you kind of work through that? Well, it, it really is a challenge, and thanks for recognizing that. I think the first thing to do is make, make sure that everybody on the team understands why it's important to bring those kinds of skills into the, into the agency. Uh, I think there, there's a pretty clear understanding that we didn't have those, uh, those skills. We didn't have people that had experience in, in moving you know, these applications into the cloud or working through you know, federal acquisition to get there or what were the, you know, what are the challenges, and and how do we not have to learn them for ourselves when we when we want to go into a hybrid or a multi cloud environment? Finding people that actually had that understanding, it was important to have those people that were federal government um, employees as well. Certainly, we have vendors that help us with that as well, and they continue to help us with that, but. Uh, in the end, we're accountable for it. We have to understand it. We have to be able to make decisions. There's always trade-offs to to consider, and that has to be done by by our own people. So, you know, cloud architect is one area that we've had to do that, and we've had to do it in a few other very specific areas as well with workforce. We have a very small workforce at NRC. We're a smaller agency. Uh, my question's for Dave Nelson. So. And it relates to the all-important topic of uh, business stakeholder engagement and buy-in. And very often that's a, a real challenge when, you know, migrating your applications, moving to the cloud, especially as it relates to investment and underlying kind of enablers at the infrastructure and platform level. 
for example, where there's not necessarily direct tangible business value that you can um, use to sell your, your business stakeholders on, on the investment. So I'm wondering how you kind of overcame, you know, or, or you're working to overcome those broader challenges uh, as they relate to um, buy-in and engagement. So. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think it's, it, again, it comes probably back to our CMM, our cloud maturity model of two, an opportunistic. The way that I look at it is typically we're, we're trying to figure out what business challenge we're trying to solve, not the, not the challenge of moving things up into the cloud, other than what we anticipate as, as, as savings in certain areas um, when we do that. So we, we start the journey by talking about the redesign of the application that, and the way that we do the business process that we're, we're, um, we're trying to achieve. And if we look at it that way first, then we can talk about what is replatforming this application and what can we do along the way that makes sense that can reduce our costs from the way that we're currently operating. But um, you're right, I'm most, most business managers or mission managers out there are not looking at a goal of moving things to the cloud. They're looking at how do I improve the way that my service is written. The fortunate thing at NRC is a lot of our processes and services, we're, we're regulatory agencies, so they've been there and they've been evolved and, and we've been doing them for decades um, and, and continue to add on. So it is sort of time to look at those again and say, are there ways that we can make this easier for ourselves in the way that we do that process? I think that's been one of the biggest shifts that I've seen over the last decade around the discussion on cloud. Initially, it was so much around save money, save money, save money. And now it's really capabilities, capabilities, and, and you know, if you will, the mission side. Discuss a little bit about how that shift in the discussion has helped or, or made things a little bit easier to move to the cloud. Because I can only imagine that when you're like, well, we can save money, and then when that doesn't come through, people go, oh, there goes those IT people again, you know, spinning their web of lies. It's, it's my thinking that the saving money doesn't, doesn't happen just because you sort of lift and shift things up to infrastructure as a service. I, I haven't seen that um, myself. The, the, the real savings comes in, that, in that, whole, that whole idea that you're going to restructure the way you're doing the business first. Think about what you can do there. Because when you streamline that, then the platform becomes simpler. And at that point, it get, typically becomes smaller. And, uh, and you can do things with new technology that are out there that, that you couldn't do when it was designed 20 years ago. How you doing? Um, Jaquan Outlaw with MorphWorks and DOJ here. I got a question because I know Margie earlier mentioned reskilling. And then um, I know, David, you mentioned uh, you have a small organization. So have you guys looked into, um, I guess, just training on site, kind of the folks that you do have? And I guess what are the challenges with that? And speaking of cost savings, right, that would initially save some, some costs, right, if you can get your people trained and things move pretty fast. And trying to acquire new folks can take time and energy, and you know you never know what can happen. So yeah, again, it's a mix. I I, I agree with you. We we are putting a lot of effort as an agency into um into our um, uh, strategic workforce planning and trying to look out and and figure out what what gaps we have between the skills that we have today and the skills we need in five years trying to figure out what the different strategies for filling those gaps are. Sometimes you're hiring in some skills that you don't have. Other times you have to 
figure out how to do that reskilling. Margie mentioned the cybersecurity academy that's been put out there. There's been another one recently um, through uh, National Science Foundation on uh, on uh, data scientist certification. We we as an agency were allowed to send three people to that, and I had three days to ask people. I had 50 people that wanted to go there. How do you select in three days those three people that are going to get get that training but we're looking you know how to fill those gaps in in a in again a small organization the other side of that of, of our discussion is supposed to be data center landscape and dave you mentioned that one of the things you did was virtualization and that helped you kind of reduce the data center but it didn't really get you to where you needed to be so roughly where are we at with your data center consolidation effort and what's happening as you kind of looked at you said not a lot of infrastructure as a service a lot of Platform as a service is what you're moving to, maybe some software. Where does data center fit into this discussion these days? Yeah, so we're still focused on our data center. Basically, we did. Uh, we went out and, and made a real effort to very quickly virtualize the data center. And, and what we ended up with, with our largest single data center, was a very large data center in a very small footprint, so which is not very efficient. But then you have to struggle with GSA and the leases and the space that we have and what do we do with the extra space. And we talked to other agencies about potentially using some of our space since we're sharing that building with some of the other agencies. We're looking at those kinds of opportunities as well. We're certainly trying to put the instrumentation in there. And we're, we're getting close to having all the instrumentation in there so that we can much closer um, monitor and manage that to the performance that we'd like to see uh, in the data center. But as it, 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 far as rationalizing data centers, we, we really only have two data centers. We have one uh, in, our, in our headquarters in, in uh, Rockville, and we have another one at one of our regional sites. Everything else that we run are just a few little ancillary closets that are maybe sitting in some of the, the regions. So we're fairly rationalized now. Um, but I'd rather be out of the data center management as much as possible. Do you expect ever to be out? Or is it you always will need something small, something? I, I, I don't see that future yet. I'd love to say yes, <laughs> but I, I don't see that. I mean, realistically, we do deal with a lot of, we're not yet addressing what we're doing with some of our you know, more sensitive classified systems and those types of systems. Um, I know there's options for those today, but I think we have some other places to focus first. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from Dave Nelson, the CIO of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Today I played some excerpts from a panel I moderated at the recent HR Cloud Summit. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 